Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Dorgieff, class of 2022. Today, we talk to Anna Rose Nolasco, class of 2016, law clerk at Matthew M. Fakuri Law Offices and second-year law student at UIC. Anna Rose will share with us how a fascination in psychology and undergrad set her on a path to study criminal law. Joining us today is Anna Rose Nolasco from the class of 2016. Anna, can you tell us what you do? Yes. Hello. Um, I'm a 2L, which is a second year law student at UIC School of Law uh, currently. Um, I also work for a criminal defense firm. The law office is a Matt Ficori, which is based out of Skokie, um, but we kind of cover all the state of Illinois and mainly Cook County. Um, so I've been very busy with that right now. So Anna, if you can maybe walk us back to uh, once you left WeGo, how did you become interested in studying law? Was law always what you wanted to go into or did you kind of find a, a, a new path to get there? Um, definitely not something I ever thought I would end up doing um, when I was younger and definitely not in high school. Um, and even entering college, I went to the University of Kentucky. Um, I originally was a neuroscience major, but kind of quickly switched that to psychology. Um, I was always definitely really interested in studying that, fascinated with the way that people think, um, why people decide to do the things that they do, why they act the way they do. Um, and I was very geared towards that. And then I, off of psychology, I discovered criminology, um, which is the study of crime. Um, I was fascinated with that in college. It's definitely what really opened my eyes um, to the world of law. I think when I was in college, I definitely did not um, even really see like what the path to law school looked like. I was just kind of, all right, I really like psychology. What can I do with this? I was either going to pursue that further um, and, you know, maybe pursue a PhD, um, but still wanted to be involved in the criminal realm of things somewhat with that. Um, and then I kind of discovered, wait a minute, I can go to law school and like kind of take that degree and apply it towards that. Um, and so once I discovered that that was kind of an option for me, um, and I'd always been very passionate about social justice um, and any kind of topic branching off of law. So yeah, it was definitely in college when I decided like, okay, maybe this is what I want to end up doing. Um, so yeah. So let's go, let's go back to the, that kind of cool coursework that you took. So you, you made the switch from neurology or neuro science. Yeah. Neuroscience. Neuro yeah. <laughs> you went yeah. from that to criminology uh, mm -hmm. and, and it felt like it was like just a really good fit. Cause you, you know, you, you were obviously really interested in kind of unpacking the inner workings uh, of the mind. I was wondering yeah. if you could maybe describe like what was some of the really 
interesting coursework that you did in criminology? Like what were the types of classes that you took and what were some of your takeaways in that uh, particular uh, study? Yes. So um, technically my major was psychology and then my focus in that was violence and aggression. Um, And so then I kind of based my criminology classes off of to focus on that too. Um, I think the first like intro to criminology, just learning the theories of, um, I mean, a lot of criminology obviously bases off of sociology. So just first learning those theories of everything. um, I think I'm really nerdy in that sense that I think research and all of that is fascinating. Um, And then I took a class called white collar crime. um, And that's really what opened my eyes to law. Um, and just really seeing how in depth, um, you know, something like white collar crime, you think of maybe the Enron scandal or like, oh, you know, Wolf of Wall Street and fraud embezzlement. But um, I think taking the class and really studying what that means and kind of why are people more prone to commit a certain type of crime versus other types of crime? Or why are they more prone to act violently versus a crime that's not violent? Um, a lot of my classes were really looking into that as just like the why to everything. And I think I've always been such a person that wants to know why things are the way that they are. Um, so yeah, my, my class is definitely focused, um, a lot on just real world things. Um, things like, you know, the school to prison pipeline of like, how can a troubled teenager, why do they end up committing crimes and why do they end up in our prison system? Um, so, yeah, just kind of all over the board with things, but really mainly focusing on the theory uh, level of things and why why it is the way that it is. What was your, what was your most fascinating why? Like of of all, because it's you have what an incredible spectrum where you're talking about what could be you know the prison to, uh, the school to prison pipeline, but then even white collar. I was wondering what was the one why that surprised you or you found the most interesting and what maybe triggers a uh, kind of a, a, a criminal behavior? What was the one that you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming and or that I, that you that found was just most uh, fascinating or surprising? Yeah. So I think something that um, I kind of knew maybe, you know, you, psychopaths and the oh serial killer stuff. It's all super, um, I think super in pop culture right now. And we see it on Netflix and everything. Um, I took, because violence and aggression was my focus, my capstone, capstone class that I took um, as a senior was focused on um, psychopathy and serial killers. And as much as like, you know, oh, I thought I knew a lot about it. Um, the true biology behind all of that, I think actually was probably the most fascinating thing that I had learned that, um, for example, the uh, frontal lobe of the brain is mainly responsible for judgment, decision-making. Um, and so learning that people that have um, psychopathic tendencies or what's now referred to as uh, antisocial personality um, disorder, they have something like more gray matter in the front of their lobe versus white matter. So realizing that like something can be on such a very biological level like that, I thought was probably the most fascinating that, you know, sometimes it doesn't always um, have 100% to do with how you are raised or what your childhood looked like, um, but maybe it is just on a very biological level. Um, so I think that was probably the most fascinating, like, wow, like these people are really structured differently than maybe a, a normal looking brain would look like. Um, and I think also the white collar crime stuff really fascinated me too, because 
Um, these are individuals who you would think wouldn't have to turn to crime to necessarily be successful in life. These are already people um, in successful positions that essentially um, just it's like a it's a dopamine hit for them. You know, they can't get enough of it and it spirals out of control. So just really seeing, I think, like the fundamental differences in personalities and just individuals um, and yeah, like why somebody would be more geared towards committing something like white collar crime versus somebody who commits very violent um, acts uh, and, you know, just the fundamental differences that they have. Um, I think those were probably the two most fascinating whys. At Kentucky, you were, you graduated with a degree in psychology with a focus on kind of yeah. criminology and those type of things. Mm-hmm. As you were in your senior year, was there any type of final um, research project or thesis that you had to do within that program to exit? Um, yes. So it was that um, the capstone class that I was talking about, it was focused on violence and aggression. Um, my professor was that professor of that class is very fascinating, kind of a wild guy. Um, and so our final kind of thesis project for that um, was to create a story. This was kind of super interesting to create a story um, about an individual that had suffered from some sort of um, uh, mental illness and then to base a uh, essentially like to write a story of them committing some sort of crime and you having to explain the why behind it. Um, so that was definitely a very like in-depth project of, okay, you know, oh, I'm going to write a, a story about a serial killer, but let's actually look at like, what is the profile of that serial killer look like? You know, what was their childhood like? Um, can we explain some of that pathology and biology with it? Um, as well as just like social factors about them. So it was really creative on the one hand of having to write a short story, but on the other hand, it was, um, you know, very research heavy of applying all of that science and social science to this character. Um, so, yeah, that was our final project. This is so cool that there's the, the intersection of all of those, the sociology, the psychology and the pathology mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and all those other factors. Is each is each scenario so wildly different or are there certain factors that are consistently pretty much the same as it contributes to maybe some of the the crime of let's say uh the the sociopath or the psychopath that you're talking about is there i mean i I would imagine that's clearly more pathological because of Mm -hmm. you know the the the, uh the brain but and some of those other crimes as you were studying them is there is there one percentage of any of those features that seems to be most more dominant as an indicator uh, for crime Uh, Definitely some sort of trauma when early childhood um, or honestly just, I mean, early childhood is definitely what you hear the most because that will, that's a time and point in your life that's, you're the most uh, influenced. But I would say any kind of traumatic event throughout the childhood, um, something that people will call like a trigger or a stressor um, and a, a point in which somebody never really necessarily heals from or fully um, processes, and then that affects them later on. Um, definitely, I would say trauma is the biggest one, um, as well as just being exposed to any sort of unstable home life, which is pretty an open-ended thing, um, any sort of difficulties with alcohol or drug abuse in the home. Um, but yeah, definitely an event during childhood uh, definitely will play a huge part in 
kind of the decisions that they make, not only as a teenager, early adolescent, but influences their adult uh, life too. You had that capstone uh, project, but sometimes there's always like cool experiments that you get to do as a psychology major. Did you get to design any or kind of oversee the implementation of any experiments while you were at school? Um, so I was not too um, invested in the research part of things. Um, and that was kind of a, a practical choice because those who, uh, like my classmates who were super involved in research stuff, um, were interested in pursuing psychology further uh, on an academic level, you know, pursuing their master's or PhD. Uh, whereas at that point, I'd already decided law school was going to be my thing. And so um, instead of, you know, working as a research assistant on an undergrad level, I uh, involved myself more with extracurriculars and then just gearing towards other classes. Um, so, yeah, I, I honestly did not. I participated in some um, research, uh, like different as a psychology student, you had to participate in certain experiments. So that was kind of cool um, being a participant in them. But I never actually conducted anything myself. So you graduate from Kentucky and then what's the next move from there? Did you go immediately to try to, uh, to, to apply to law school or did you take a little bit of a break? Uh, and then how did you find your position at your current, um, firm? So yeah, I went right into law school. Um, I guess that was not necessarily intentional. I think I kind of had the idea that Oh, well, you know, I'm done with one school on to the next. Um, I really like school in that sense. So I never really was concerned about like wanting a break for myself. Um, and I also thought it was kind of the norm just to go right into law school, which now I realize it's definitely not. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I hopped right into it. I uh, really what I decided I wanted to go to law school was I was involved in the mock trial team at Kentucky. Um, so it's essentially an entire real world uh, simulation of an actual trial, exactly like it would be in real life. Um, so that's when I was like, all right, law school is it. I wanted to go right into it. I was super excited. Um, and I started my first year in the pandemic, fully immersed. Um, all of my classes were on Zoom um, for the first year entirely, which was kind of, kind of nuts. <laughs> um, and we were the first law school class ever um, in the country, along with everybody else who was a 1L last year, to ever do a year of law school online. Um, so that was definitely a unique experience. Um, and then this year, uh, luckily, half of my classes were on campus, half were online. Um, so finally getting back to normal. Um, but with my position that I'm at now, um, it's kind of I guess it's kind of the norm to get your first legal job after your first year of law school. Uh, you're not necessarily expected to, uh, but around like January, February, March is when everybody starts looking for their jobs. And um, getting a summer job in law school, it's really the chance for you to try to find a uh, not only a potential employer, but a potential field of law that you you want to end up practicing. Um, there is so much that you can do with law. So your job, I feel like, is really where you decide what you want to end up doing and where you really learn uh, what, you know, practicing immigration law or practicing criminal defense, you know, what that looks like in real life. Um, so I had 
seen a posting um, for my job. It just came in like a big uh, school email along with all the other jobs. I applied. I got an interview. Um, I was really excited because this is one of the very few um, positions at a criminal defense firm that I had seen. Um, it's definitely more popular to work in the civil law um, side of things, some stuff like personal injury, medical malpractice. So a lot of positions uh, for firms like that. But I knew criminal was what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, I ended up interviewing. I immediately loved the firm, loved the attorneys. Um, and I started working right after my first year. You talked about like the mock trial. So the the English teacher in me wants to know totally <laughs> about like what did you find to be the best persuasion when you were in your mock trials? I mean, obviously you're working on that now in your uh, your coursework, but like you know, what was something where you're like, hey, that worked really well, like in terms of persuasion and setting up your arguments? Because I'm always like trying to find something new to bring back to my students, and this yeah. sounds like a really rich experience. Uh, what yeah, was something definitely. that was like a really cool thing that you kind of figured out as you were working through the mock trials as a persuader in your arguments? Yeah, no, I'm, I love that you asked that because I'm such a nerd about mock trial. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, and it was definitely the place where I think I really learned how to speak publicly as a lawyer, you know, because there is a, a certain way that you do speak um, as an attorney and write and everything. Um, I think really what I learned is just presentation and uh, kind of like finding your own style up there. That's definitely something as an attorney that you have to figure out because your persona in the courtroom is different than everybody else's. You know, you have to find what works for you. And so I think that's really what mock trial helped me with is like kind of finding my voice and realizing that for me, um, I like to stay very calm and focused and to the point um, when I'm trying to make a point um, and trying to persuade versus somebody else who may be a little bit more animated or um, a little bit pushier. Like I find if I try to do that, that doesn't always come off the best. <laughs> so I have, you know, like... I, just, yeah, finding your style. And for me, it's trying to be very laid back and cool. Um, and a lot of the times that kind of also has to do with getting um, a jury or a potential jury to like you as an attorney and to seem appealing to them, um, but also seeming appealing to, let's say, the witness that you're questioning. Um, you don't always want to look like the bad guy up there. So I think, yeah, just really finding my voice. That's really what mock trial helped me with, um, as well as the actual um, kind of analytics of questioning somebody of, you know, not only what are you asking them, but how are you asking them and kind of the pattern that you're asking them in. So something I totally learned, um, you know, from multiple attorneys, I keep hearing this, that like on a cross-examination, you, uh, you know, you want to get your point out of the witness, but you never want to make it right off the bat. You kind of want to build up a cadence. And so like my mock trial coach in college would, would literally verbally say, um, you want your questions to sound like da, 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 da. And like, finally, you know, you, you build up to that big point um, instead of coming out off the bat, just boom, boom, boom. Um, you know, just like the methodology of how you're setting up your argument. Um, I think I learned, yeah, I, I mean, I, I credit a lot of what I learned like courtroom wise to mock trial. Um, and I'm involved still in trial ad advocacy 
um, in law school now too. So I'm continuing that and I absolutely love it. It's, so you're you're right. There there's something so it's like we're wired for that cadence that you were uh, describing. I I, I talk mm-hmm. about this with my AP students about parallel structure when yeah. you're creating a type of rhythm and and what the either the the audience will hear or what the reader will read. You know there is that kind of you know that rhythm that comes from that. That's that's so true. It, no, you know the other thing too, just as a kind of like you know you're. I would imagine that the type of reading and writing is even more intense once you move from undergrad to law school. What was some of the, how would you begin to describe the ways in which that you have to be so much more maybe meticulous with how you approach your reading and what tips do you have for reading with such concentration and, uh, and what have you learned of, of yourself about how you write as well in your coursework in law school? Yeah. Um, so yeah, reading definitely way more meticulous in law school. Um, I, yeah, just <laughs> kind of a whole nother level, <laughs> but not impossible. You know, it's not, everyone's like, oh, well, I want to go to law school, but I don't like reading. I'm like, you know, you have to do it, but it, it's not scary. Um, it's, it's definitely just way more involved and just, um, you know, hearing from professors, they'll tell you, read the case three times, you know, like if, if they're reading a case, um, the professor would tell you, I read this four times. And, you know, the first time you read it, it's just to get an idea. The second time is to understand each side's um, argument. The third time is to understand this. So, um, and I think it's also like the way that uh, Supreme Court, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of constitutional law, for example, you're reading cases that Supreme Court justices wrote those opinions. So you might not completely understand it, but that's okay. You know, you don't necessarily need to, as long as you can, um, Essentially, you know, I always hear this too from my professors, like, if you can tell me what the case is about in your own words, that's great, because you took away what you needed to from that. Um, And law school really essentially is just that, that you're assigned, okay, read these four cases, five cases for the next class, um, and you brief each case. Um, So there's something called IRAC or CRAC in law school that basically every student uses that you first find the issue, you find the rule of law that the um, judges are using and applying, you actually apply it to the facts at hand, and then what is the conclusion? So IRAC. Um, so I would say that's really helpful to kind of have like that guide when we're reading through cases, um, but just also realizing that you might not 100% understand it, exactly what they're writing down. Um, but as long as you can kind of explain it in your own words and, you know, tell somebody else the story. That's what I think has found to be the most helpful. Just a quick follow-up question. Typically when you say read over a case, you know, I know a novel is going to be like 200 to 300 pages. So when you say read over a case, like what's the time commitment or what's the page length of a typical case that you would be reviewing? Um, so Definitely in my 1L year, uh, that's where you're going to do your most reading. And you might have to read 100 pages for one class, um, which is, again, seems really scary, but it's not necessarily you're reading every single one of those 100 pages. Um, Mm -hmm. So like, you know, maybe if one case, an opinion of one case may be like five pages in a textbook or maybe six pages in a textbook. 
But then you have the heftier cases that may be a 20 page opinion. And then you're like, oh, no. <laughs> um, and those are the ones that you may not be reading all those 20 pages, but just really looking for the main points. Um, so, yeah, it, it was uh, it was hefty the first year in that sense is that you're just kind of you just kind of have to get through all that reading because it's just like the bread and butter of everything of law school. So you are, you said you're in your second year for law school. Is that, mm-hmm. if I, is that correct? Yes. Uh, so I was wondering if you could maybe give me the, the, the scope of your, of what law school. So typically year one, you're accomplishing, like what, what, ha- what is happening in year one, year two, and then what do you anticipate your preparation for the bar uh, will be? And, and, and when do you maybe anticipate that you're, and, and how, yeah, how would how do you, how are you gonna um how and when are you gonna start uh, uh, getting ready for that? Yes, so uh, your first year of law school um, called the you know the infamous one L year, um, and that is where you're taking everybody t- has the exact same schedule um, across the nation, which is kind of cool uh, that every single first year law student are taking the exact same courses. Uh, so you're taking torts, contracts, property, constitutional law, civil procedure. Uh, criminal law. Uh, I think that's everything. Um, so everything that will be on the bar one day. Um, so these are considered your doctoral classes. Um, and those are just, you know, a lot of material heavy stuff. Every class is structured the same where you're reading the case, you go to class, you brief all those cases, talk about it. And then, you know, you learn the law from those cases and then on to the next. Um, Your second year is definitely where we get to have a little bit more freedom. Um, Our schedule is still somewhat made for us um, in terms of classes that we have to take, but this is when we can finally start taking electives. Um, And for example, this past semester, I took, um, everybody has to take evidence as a class too as well. In law school, you would take a class called evidence. It's all about the federal rules of evidence, which is kind of the like rules of the courtroom, you know, what gets in to evidence and what doesn't. Um, and so the my class that I took, it was called trial lawyer. So it was an evidence class that was specifically designed for people that want to be trial lawyers one day. Um, so that was super cool to finally like really have like a real life, very practical class. Um, my classes next semester that I, I got to choose completely on my own because now I have finished all my required coursework. So this is kind of when we get to start taking classes that are geared towards what we want to do. Um, And then your third year is also just electives as well as your bar prep classes. So that's when we'll start to take um, classes that uh, are designed specifically to prepare us for the bar for the, you know, different multiple choice sections um, and the writing portions of it. Um, I'm actually hoping to maybe graduate early um, next December instead of waiting till May. Um, I think I have it timed out and calculated that I could. Um, so in that case, I would, I think, attempt to take the February bar. Um, but if not, I would wait to take the bar um, in May. So basically have from December to May as my bar prep time, which is your time where you're really doing your eight hours a day of studying. I think it's hard for people to get their mind around the discipline that it would take to do eight hours uh, a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Um, how, how do you, what, what have been some of the, the uh, techniques that you've heard that have been very successful to kind of keep your mind 
ready for the the challenge for that? I know it's kind of a year away from all that, but I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard people who have gone through it uh, already oh, yeah. and have found a way to like, what, how, how would you, so you have eight hours. How have they suggested that you would maybe um, uh, pace yourself in a typical day? Have you heard anything about what, what that'll take? Yeah. Um, so luckily with the, with bar prep, um, there are programs definitely that you follow to help you study. So I've already heard, uh, you know, the recommendations of do not use this program, use this one instead, you know, really make sure you're comfortable with that. Um, and then just hearing from people don't, you know, don't kill yourself essentially with it. Don't push it farther. Don't study more than you need to. Um, if anything, I've heard, more comments about don't study too much (laughs) rather than comments about actually how to study. Um, Because I think once we're at in our third year of law school and at the bar prep time, um, we've, you know, we've trained ourselves how to study at that point and been able to be disciplined students. You know, if we've gotten this far. Yeah. Um, That makes a lot of sense. Right. You're already there. So, um, yeah, what I've really heard is just like, just don't overstudy, you know, remind yourself that this is all stuff that you learned in school. Um, and then just a lot of like, uh, it's a lot of flashcard type of studying where it's just being able to boom, recite it off the top of your head and, um, you know, answer the question in under a certain amount of time. Um, and I think that's the other big part of the studying for the bar is, um, doing a lot of practice tests and times because that's going to be your biggest battle is kind of fighting the clock um, and making sure that you're pacing yourself. So were there any other in your, your year one, you were uh, exposed to different fields of law. Were there any that kind of, you're like, well, maybe this one, was there, or where did you, where did you know that it was going to be criminal law the whole time? Or was there anyone that like, that could be kind of interesting too. Um, yeah, I think I was pretty set on criminal law. I'm one of the very, very, very few, like maybe one of three um, people in my class that is like gung ho on criminal law. Um, a lot of my classmates, you know, are dabbling in different things or they, oh, I want to do civil law. I want nothing to do with criminal. So yeah, I think I always wanted to do that. Um, I have a natural interest in immigration law too, because um, my dad is an immigrant. My brother's wife is an immigrant. Um, so just being around that and growing up around that, I think I've just had an interest in like, I want to know, you know, everything there is to know about that one day. So I could, you know, perhaps see myself working in that area of things, but I just love the aspect of being in a courtroom with criminal law that you don't really get um, with other fields. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, the, there's, there's the, there's psychology in theory and an abstraction but then there's the real psychology of you being a criminal lawyer at some point where you're going to be also kind of a a coach to the person that you are Mm -hmm. and and an advocate and and you know in in many ways therapist to your client in in such a way because they're they've you're 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 helping them through uh, a very trying time in your life I was wondering, is, is there anything in law school that kind of prepares you for the, the stuff that's away from the books and the soft skills that go along with being a criminal lawyer? Um, definitely. There's definitely classes um, geared towards that, you know, client interaction and, you know, running your business, running a law firm. And there's actually a class I'm taking next semester called Counseling and Negotiations. 
Um, so really what, yeah, that counseling side of things. Um, I would say though, you really, at least for me, I've really learned that in my job. Um, that's something like the first day of my job, I won't ever forget, um, realizing how much, um, my boss, Matt is really a counselor to these clients. And I don't think I really understood the capacity, um, that it's at and really how much you are a guide for these people. Um, especially our young clients. We have quite a few young clients, um, some of them under 18 being charged as an adult. Um, so for those clients, um, my boss really, really takes a, um, I would say just like takes a special connection to them um, and really like trying to get them on the right path and all right, what led you to do this in the first place? And how are we not going to get you back to this place? You know, what, what are we going to change about your life right now? What can we change? Um, so honestly, yeah, that's been, uh, I think where I've learned it the most is in my job and seeing it play out in real life. It's perfect. I was actually, that was my next question is it was, was how, how you tie that into uh, where you are now. So yes. you have to be really busy. So you're a full-time yes. <laughs> law student and you're working at this firm. How do you, well, first of all, what, what are the types of things that's a daily schedule for at the firm? And then more importantly, how do you strike the balance? So you do remain uh, sane, you know, yeah. with, with all of this, how do you, how do you find more hours in the day to do this? Yes. So um, I kind of designed my class schedule last semester knowing that I would be working during the year. Um, so like, for example, I had Friday all day off. So I work a full day on Friday. And then um, other days during the week, uh, if I could, you know, if I had room with my classes um, and studying, I would work a half day. And then most of my classes were actually 6 to 9 p.m. at night. Um, I'm not really sure why it's like that. Just majority of like the class catalog that it was offered at those times. So um, I think they also kind of do that on purpose to give us the day to work and then have class at night. Um, and definitely during your second year, it's still a lot of studying, but it opens up a little bit more um, because, you know, we're kind of expected to work and to start getting that real world experience. So, um, yeah, I work just about like two days a week during the school year and then on breaks like over the summer and now on winter break, I work full time, um, which is kind of just a choice of mine too, because I like my job so much. Um, and my boss has been, I'm really grateful that he's very flexible. And I think a lot of obviously attorneys, they all went through the exact same thing. So all like all of my friends' bosses are very understanding of us being students and allowing us to be flexible. And, you know, if you don't, if you need to study, like don't come into work this week, um, or don't feel like you, uh, have to do this, you know? So, um, yeah, I would say honestly, on one hand too, like my job, is kind of like the break from school. Um, and I think it makes school that much more exciting when you're finally like doing the work in real life. Um, you see how it's going to pay off and like, you know, it's going to be worth it one day. So that is cool. Like, Cause it, you're, you're immediately seeing, you know, the foundation of where you're going and then mm -hmm. in the real time as you're, you're studying for it. Yeah. At, at your work, I was wondering, do you, do you see that you you started at one point and do you see yourself kind of getting more and more tasks that are more sophisticated because you've proven yourself with your coursework and your experience there? I was wondering, what did you start off doing versus what you're kind of able to do now? Is there What's the growth in what you've yeah. been able to do at your job? Uh, yeah. So I definitely started off um, doing more 
you know, my position, I'm called a law clerk, which is kind of what you're called when you're a law student working for a firm or for an attorney called a clerk. Um, so at first, I definitely was doing more clerical things. Um, we half of like our work as a firm is expungement stuff and then half is criminal defense. So um, on the expungement side of things, I was um, able to like draft a lot of the expungement petitions or the petitions to seal a record, you know, for our clients. Um, so filling out a bunch of more basic documents of things, um, definitely still doing a lot of client communication. Um, I would answer the phones a lot. So client intake, which was super interesting, um, versus now I definitely am given more, um, more tasks and like you said, more sophisticated tasks. So, uh, one of the things I do like weekly all the time, um, is to write mitigation letters for our clients. So let's say we have a client that's charged with, um, uh, aggravated speeding or reckless driving. Um, I would be writing a letter to the state's attorney that's on the case, um, about our client and essentially why the state's attorney should dismiss the case or they should reduce it down to something else. Um, so definitely a very persuasive piece of writing. Um, and I love writing these letters. <laughs> Some of the other attorneys at the firm, like, they're like, Oh, I don't want to write this mitigation letter. Like, Oh, Anna, you can write it. And I love it. Cause I'm like, Oh, perfect. Like it's, um, it feels very real world for me. Um, and then I also write just more involved motions now. So like I just wrote a motion to reconsider for a case um, and, you know, motions to bring a case back into court. So, you know, and also a piece of doc, a piece of document, a piece of writing that is uh, research based, you know, pursuant to this case law. This is why this case should be brought back into court. So, um, yeah, just writing things now that are much more in depth um, and handling client matters that are just more serious than I was at first. Um, and which feels really cool because I know I'm being trusted with a lot. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, for sure. And just for my own follow-up with that. So when yeah. you're drafting a motion, like, is that like two pages four? like, what's, what's the length of it? And then, and how quick is the turnaround when, so you sit down to write it, is that something that you knock out before coffee or is that something that takes maybe, uh, of the full day? Like what's the, what's the, the process of, of that? Um, yeah, I would say we're, um, we normally have a pretty strict, I would say timeline, um, because in the criminal world, everything's on a timeline because certain things have to be done by a certain court date. Um, so my boss and my firm is just very like, okay, have this to me by this date. Um, so, but like a mitigation letter, I could, yeah, sit down and, you know, be done with it by the, by lunchtime. Um, something like a motion, depending on what type of motion it is, it may take me a couple days, you know, like me wanting to read it over and, the um, you know, there's a little bit of research that goes into it. Uh, this motion to reconsider that I just wrote was like three pages long. So not super long. Um, but just more tedious writing of, you know, every single sentence means something. Um, and that's definitely true with legal writing is like, there's no fluff. There's no such thing as fluff. So uh, you just have to be very specific with everything that you're saying. Um, so yeah, it's not super long pieces of writing. Some, you know, a motion to reconsider could be 50 pages. Uh, if you were writing, um, let's say based off of a trial that the client was found guilty and you're writing a motion to the judge to reconsider that, that would be something that's much more involved, a much longer uh, document involving all the pieces of evidence and everything um, versus the stuff that I'm writing. It's a little bit shorter, not as complicated. 
So you're when you pass the bar, uh, and mm-hmm. do you do you well, do you think you're going to want to work at your current firm or or what what's the next? What do you anticipate to be the job search after uh, you pass the bar? Uh, yes, that is definitely the goal um, is to stay with the firm I'm working at, which has, you know, I've been really fortunate to have that conversation. Um, and that is the current goal right now. So, uh, yeah, I'm basically doing exactly what I want to do one day. Um, and obviously I'll be able to do more and actually be able to appear in court because uh, right now I don't have any of that uh, ability. But, uh, yeah, staying where I'm at. And I think I think I will always stay in the criminal world of things. I never really see myself leaving. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But that's that's exciting that you know that there's uh, kind of a, an assurance there that you're like yeah we like what you do and um, that they're they're ready to to hire you that's really exciting yeah, yeah. I, I, you know I was thinking about you know something else so as a, a as a law student and someone who's had law in their mind for so long you know I, I was wondering are there any like books or even podcasts that you like listening to that you think either capture the spirit of that you think is like, yeah, this is what law is really like, or, um, or kind of, uh, you kind of capture the imagination for if there was any kind of student or, or someone, a listener of this podcast would be like, yeah, this, that would be fun. I, I that, that you would point us in that direction. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually a huge YouTube person obsessed with YouTube. <laughs> um, so I've found, quite a few things on YouTube that I really like. There's this awesome, awesome criminal defense attorney based off out of Minnesota. Um, his name is Bruce Rivers, uh, and he has an incredible YouTube channel. Um, he reacts to a lot of things. So he'll react to uh, you know, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial that just happened. And I think he does a phenomenal job of um, making it consumable for the average person. And I say that not to be like, oh, you don't know about law, but law is very complicated, you know, and for somebody to be interested in it, um, I think he does a great job of like making it appealing to somebody and and not just making it like dry, boring video about it. Um, So yeah, his name is Bruce Rivers. And I think his channel is called like Criminal Lawyer Reacts. Um, and I just, I still learn so many different things from his videos. Um, he's an incredible criminal defense attorney who does many trials of his own. Um, and he'll react to, yeah, just like stuff that's happening in real world, which I always like, because it may be something like, oh, you know, I don't know a lot about that case. Like I have no idea what's going on with it. So I'm going to watch his video to, uh, get an explanation of it, you know? Um, and then he also just reacts to things like, (laughs) it's as funny as it is. Um, certain rappers' music videos and how, like, the certain things that they might portray in a music video could be themselves snitching on themselves. Um, <laughs> and awesome. so, like, That's he does, so like, great. funny stuff like that, too. Yeah. Um, but I, I love his videos. And then there's another guy. His name is his channel, I think it's the DUI guy. Um, and he's actually an attorney based out of Kentucky. So I knew of him as an attorney when I went to Kentucky. Um, but he will just do, he, his videos are much more, I would say, um, a little bit drier. He's still really funny too, though. And he'll post like footage from his own trials, like courtroom footage. Um, and he'll like walk through it in the video. So I think, you know, maybe I'm just a nerd about this stuff, but I think it's fascinating for like, if somebody that had no idea about law or just stumbled upon this video, I feel like they would learn so much from it and find it interesting. Anna, you've been so generous with your time. I've learned a ton today. 
And I like ending the interview with uh, bits of advice that you could give current Wildcasts for success. Totally something that I've especially learned now in my time in law school. Um, Focus on your own journey because it's always going to look 100% different than somebody else. And you're just really doing a disservice to yourself to try and compare it to other people or to try and focus on what everybody else is doing. Just really stay focused to yourself. Do your own thing. Um, be confident in that. Um, and just know that your journey is your journey and it's always going to look different than other people's. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Ah, that was that was great. That was great. Yeah. Well, Anna, thank <laughs> yeah. you so much uh, for this. And thank you. Uh, thank I, you. I, and you know what? I, I would imagine in um, two years I'll interview you again uh, when you're you're full. I, you uh, know, full I hope so. That'd be, <laughs> That'd be great. Cool. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I had a great time. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search We Go Vox. That's We Go V-O-X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at We Go Places Podcast or on Twitter at We Go Places.